I am so glad that you're here this morning and I'm excited. Uh, if this is your first time, we'd like to welcome you. When you came in, you were given a bulletin. And in that bulletin is a place for your notes. And you can take out notes to help you to follow along. We also have an app, a New Hope app. And if you download that to your smartphone or a tablet, you can also take notes on that. So some of you, I know you're taking notes. So I know you're not, you know, on Facebook or texting people during the service. Uh, you're, you're actually taking notes. And that's good because we get to have our notes with us all the time and we can review them uh, every so often. Uh, this morning we do have a wonderful guest speaker. And he's a good friend of mine. He comes from New Hope Town on Oahu. He and his wife Jennifer have been married for over 22 years. And they did our marriage conference this weekend. And it was just a powerful time for us to strengthen our marriages. I mean, just think about it. The number one relationship aside from God, uh, our relationship with God that we have the most intimate moments with is our spouse. And so God gives us ways to strengthen our marriages. And one of the things he gives us is this thing called love. And we're in this series, The Adventures of God's Great Change. And I think for many of us, as we go through these changes, we're learning more and more about God's love. So the question becomes, what happens when love attacks? I mean, when love attacks us. Good morning. Hey, how are you doing? Super fun. Girl. Hi. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So when love attacks, attacks, then, um, oh, this is so cool. Be my valentine. Thank you. Oh, boy. I don't know what this one says, but it says something. So it says, be my valentine, Zozo. XOXO. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what that is. Follow your heart. I don't know what that one is. So uh, this is not what love attacks looks like. Uh, hopefully we can define what that looks like. Let me take this off so that you're not distracted and uh, it doesn't stick to my face. It says bananas for you with a little monkey. Oh, so cute. <laughs> okay, maybe that's not what love looks like, but here to let us know what love attacks looks like. Would you welcome with me my good friend, Pastor Alex Michelle. <laughs> Come and Thanks, brother. Oh, so good. Thanks, Marilyn. Oh, thank you, Marilyn. All right, good morning, New Hope Church. How's everybody doing? You guys doing good? The early crew. There's so many of you who are awake. Do we wake up this early and awesome? And you, like, look all alive. On Oahu, people are, like, half passed out still at, like, 10 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> well, it is. It's a blessing to be with you here today and to be able to share the Word of God with you today. And in that space, I thought it was very interesting when Pastor Sheldon had uh, asked me if I would come and speak, both at the PAUSE conference, our marriage conference, which was a total blessing. Were any of you there? Anybody raise your hand if you were there? We have a few of them. Let's give them a hand. It's so good. It was a great, great time on Friday and Saturday night. And so when we were talking through... Uh, this message, he had said, yeah, man, I want you to teach on when love attacks. And I was like, okay, that, that's a little different. When I think of love, I'm not thinking of, you know, attacking, so to speak. And I was just like, oh, okay. And then I was reading what he was talking about. And it was interesting because he had talked about, you know, God's love and purpose can grip us and grab a hold of us. And he was talking about this, he was saying like, man, we're really focusing on the potter and the clay and how God's shaping our life like that. And it's interesting if you um, think about some of these things in our life, um, when we are shaping clay, you know, if you've ever done that before, you know, I wonder what it would be like if the clay had an opinion. 
right? You know what I mean? Here's the clay, and we're just dousing it with water, and we're sitting there. If you've ever seen it, people like put the little carver thing in there or begin to like soften things like that. And when you see the picture, you're just like, wow, it's so, that's like me and Jesus. But if you're the clay, you'd be like spinning all around and, you know, like this. Or I wonder if you were like, you know, gold, like, oh, gold refined in the fire. Well, if gold had feelings, what would it feel when it's thrown in the fire? Screaming and yelling and what's going on, but we recognize that this process is one that just makes something from what it is to what it can be. And so when we were talking about this space, I was thinking, man, what would be an example of this? What would be an example of what Pastor Sheldon was wanting to communicate to us when love attacks? Because he was talking about this reality. It's when his love grips us, it will cause us to not only feel the impact of his love, but that impact upon our life causes us to want to give that love away to want to give it to others the way we've been so beautifully touched. How many of you have been touched by the love of God before in your life? I'm wondering, is there anybody out there? Yes, many of you have. Have you been touched in such a way that it is? It's a love that compels you, doesn't it? It's a love that moves you to want to be able to share God's love with others. And so in that space, I did want to bring this up because I think that sometimes when that love has become real to us, I wonder if you're like me, sometimes that love has been made real to me through hard things. Some difficulties that happened in my life. In fact, I thought it was the devil wrecking with my life, causing a difficult situation. How many of you have learned about how wonderful a provider is because you kind of came to the end of yourself financially? How many of us know he's a healer because we were once sick? I mean, it's one thing to read about him being a healer. It's another thing to experience that healing touch. Some of us have made some poor choices in our life and got confronted with them. Feeling like the wheels are going to fall. I don't know about you. That's how God reached me. He began to confront me when I was in my muck and mire. Didn't know what was going on. Thought the wheels were falling off. You know, just being impacted and going, what's going on? And only came to realize how much God was allowing difficulty to be the means by which he can show me how much he loved me. And so when I was thinking about that, I was thinking of, man, who, who really shows that in the scripture? And so I'm brought into this story that I've been wanting to preach for so long. Because it's just come out of my devotion time. And it's coming from the life of the Apostle Paul. I believe what Pastor Sheldon was wanting to communicate to us when love attacks, I think the Apostle Paul was, was not only attacked by the Lord's love, but he was assaulted. So that's the title of my message today. I couldn't help. I was so happy with myself. I was like, ooh, look, I made up a little, th- little guy. Assaulted by love. Someone say, everybody say assaulted by love. What do we do when God knocks us off our horse? I want to come into this, I'm going to weave together some stories. I hope that, um, I hope these stories from scripture will, will, will bless and impact you because you may be familiar with the people who are involved, especially the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was once Saul of Tarsus, a Pharisee, a very religious Jew. And so we're going to come into his story, we're going to start in Acts chapter 16, so what happens in Acts chapter 16 is this. The Apostle Paul is moving. He's, he's doing these missionary journeys, and they're crossing over Asia Minor, and they're wanting to, they're moving out of the Middle East, and 
They're thinking to going into Asia, and they're being blocked by, they just sense like there's something that God doesn't want in that way. So they ultimately end up going into Europe, and they come into a city called Philippi, where the book of Philippians is written to. And when they come into Philippi, they're coming into a little Roman colony. And when they come into this Roman colony, you can't preach the gospel. You can't bring any other religion than the Roman religion into Philippi. And so they go out by the river and they engage these women and they begin to share with them the gospel. And some of these women come to Christ. And so now Paul kind of has a place to stay along with some of his missionary friends. And so when they begin to go and declare the gospel kind of on the outskirts of the city and whatnot, there's this woman who's like, I guess, young woman, she's like, practices divination. She's like a fortune teller, and she's literally, in some ways, not in maybe a sexual way, but in terms of her gifts as being kind of prostituted. She has, I don't know, what do you call them, fortune-telling pimps or something? I don't know. Like, you know, but these guys are the ones who are controlling her life, so they're making a lot of money. And so as Paul and Silas are going about and they're declaring the gospel, here's what ends up happening. This woman begins to follow them, and she's like, oh, follow them. They're the men. They're telling you the truth from the Most High God. And after a couple of days, it says Paul got greatly annoyed. And he recognized that even though she was saying, oh, follow these men. They're servants of the Most High God. He recognized that there was a demonic spirit on her. So what did they do? Paul says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And boom, instantaneously, this evil spirit comes off of her. But these men recognize that this spirit is gone and now they've lost their ability to make money. So what do they do? They grab Paul and Silas and they bring them into the city. And what do they begin to do? They begin to pound them. You know, and then they go to the magistrates and they're saying, these guys are telling us a false religion, a religion other than what we want. So the magistrates start beating them with rods and then they throw them into the prison, into this place and they give this command to a jailer and they say to this jailer, put him in the lowest, put these men in the lowest part of the prison and lock them down. Now I don't know about you, I'm thinking like, maybe in that space, like, uh, Lord, what's going on here? I was preaching the gospel, and I just we just got beat and thrown into like with stocks and all these like different types of things. But interesting, there's no complaint that comes from Paul and Silas. In fact, does anybody know what they started doing at the midnight hour? Yeah, many of you, I hear you saying it. They were singing worship songs to the Lord. And it says, a mighty earthquake came and began to shake the prison. And it says that when that happened, it says that the prison doors flew open and that all the chains that were holding all the prisoners came off. And then it says that the jailer got up, he was woken up suddenly, and this is what it says. It says, when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Well, why would he do that? The reason is, is because under Roman law, if you were a Roman soldier, if your, soul, if your prisoners ever escaped on your watch, it would be the, at the cost of your life. So he is taking his own life knowing, because why? He knows they're ghosts. <laughs> the prison doors are open. He's figuring they ran out, you know? And so in the face, it says this. He says he pulled out his sword, supposing that they had escaped, was getting ready to kill himself, and notice what it says. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Don't harm yourself! We're here! It says... 
The jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Whoa, it's like an action movie, you know? And when I think about this, I'll tell you, I was doing my devotions when we were going through Acts 16 in a certain season in the Life Journal, and I remember thinking, why did Paul do that? I mean, Paul might have been like, <laughs> you beat me, you know, you threw me in here, you're trying to stop the gospel, maybe this is God's judgment on the man, you know? Because it doesn't say that Paul was walking out and he said, no. man, that's kind of sharp, don't do that, man. <laughs> it says he cried out with a loud voice, And he said, don't do it, we're here, stop. And you might think, why Why does he even care? Why is he, it's literally like in this space like, no! And I began to think of, why would the apostle be literally, If that was my own child, if that was somebody that I loved, if it was my friend, if it was somebody who had helped me out, somebody who was sharing the gospel or whatever it is, totally get it. Why would he be doing this to a man who was part of the responsibility of beating him with rods and throwing him the lowest part of the prison only to make him suffer? So it caused me to begin to think when I was doing my devotions and and I began to think of certain things. How many of you know with me that Saul of Tarsus uh, was a Pharisee? Do you guys know that? You know? He was a Pharisee. Now here's something that might be something that you might not have thought of before, but I think it's very interesting. The Apostle Paul was a Pharisee. When Jesus is being crucified, what happens? The Pharisees are the ones who are going before Pilate and saying, this man is, is, is trying to lead riot. He's trying to stir up Israel. You need to get rid of him. You need to crucify him. It says not a Pharisee. It says the Pharisees, the group. Because they had been adversarial with Jesus because he was disturbing their traditions. He wasn't following the law the way that uh, they had been doing it. And so ultimately... They, of course, end up getting their way. Pilate decides to crucify Jesus. And you hear, like, even when when, uh, Pilate's trying to say, no, they're, like, shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And so when he's still in that last-minute wrestle, he says, who do you want me to give to you? Do you want me? And they say, crucify Jesus. Then they say this, the fair... May his blood be on us and our children. Can you imagine? I mean, you, some of you might be seeking the Lord in here and you're, or you're trying to learn about God and trying to learn. I'm glad that I'm able to come into a point where you can hear some of the context around the cross of Christ. <laughs> can you imagine? I mean, seriously, when you understand that our God is a God of love, Amen. But how many of us know our God is a God of judgment also? Can you imagine 
be, say, declaring about Jesus, may his blood be on us and our children while you're screaming to crucify him. And when they're nailing him to the cross, when he's sitting there dying, you're cheering it on, you're mocking him, you're saying, oh, come on, Messiah, if you're really the Messiah, why don't you come on down and show us that you're for real because then we'll believe in you. How many of you can imagine, imagine something of the judgment? You read that, I, I just saw a couple of people like, Exactly. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Do you know the Apostle Paul was one of the people shouting and screaming that? I hear some of you going, wow, that's what I did when I thought about that too. The Apostle Paul, the one that we, St. Paul. (laughs) He's not St. Paul at this time. Saul of Tarsus And Saul of Tarsus was screaming, crucify him, may his blood be on us. And not only did he take it to that level, but as the church went forward, Jesus goes up into heaven. You start reading through the book of Acts, and you start getting into Acts chapter 8, and you hear comes Saul. And it says that he is a persecutor of the church. It says when the first man was martyred, Paul, the men who actually stoned this man named Stephen, Paul was, was there holding their coats while they were smashing the cranium of this man who was a devout follower and leader in the church. When you're stoned, the only way that, the way that you die is that they ultimately, they're not aiming at your ankles, they're, not aim, they're aiming at your head. And ultimately, it's that you're, basically your cranium cracks open and you die. It's a horrific form of death. And Paul, Saul was sitting there cheering them on. Now, I've been to Israel, and so talk about persistence. You know what I mean? I, I'm not much of a, a horse rider, um, but my wife does coax me in that from time to time because it's very romantic to her. Hey, we taught at the marriage conference, like sacrificing. So that's my sacrifice. You want to know why? Because not only am I sacrificing the riding, but uh, some parts of your body begin to hurt after a little while when you're riding on that thing. <laughs> Do you know that, the, that this man, Saul of Tarsus, this Pharisee was so determined to stomp out Christianity, to stomp out Christ, to stomp out all of his followers, that he was going to go from Jerusalem to Damascus, which is 70 miles Listen, I don't even like to drive 70 miles. I'm not even going to ride on a horse for 70 miles or whatever it is. But he's so determined that him and a group of men have found out that there's followers of the way and they are on their way to go and persecute and take out these followers that have made their way to Damascus. And it says that while they were on the road to go and persecute and to begin to jail and take in these believers and followers of Christ, it says a bright light burst from around them. And the story is picked up in Acts chapter 26 and described. And I want us to read this together because I want you to imagine how this works with me. Let's read this together. Ready, go. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now hold it right there. I want you to imagine yourself as Saul of Tarsus. By the way, he's not like a a murdering maniac. He is a devout 
follower of God in his estimation. So let's not think, oh man, he's just a serial killer wanting to like beat up Christians. No, he is a Pharisee. He is, he is if the highest religious sect and he is one of the most well-known and respected people who had memorized massive portions of the law of God, who had sought to live this thing out perfectly. And his reason for persecuting Christians and persecuting believers is because he feels he's doing it in obedience to God. And I want you to imagine if that's what you're thinking. I want you to imagine what it's like. Boom, bright light. They all fall to the ground. He knows, he knows it's the Lord. And he says, and it says, this, Saul, this voice says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you, Lord? Now, please imagine what you've been doing for the last however many season of time, persecuting Christians, persecuting. Can you imagine when he hears the voice say, it is I, Jesus, whom you are persecuting. I cannot imagine the sh- They say a cold shiver goes down your spine. What does it look like to have a glacier go down your spine? Here's what happened in that very moment is he recognized, and he would know the consequence of this, he has been an enemy of God thinking he's been the friend of God. He has been responsible for killing the Messiah that they had been waiting for. He remembered, can you imagine in that moment, it reverberating through his soul, may his blood be on us and our children. If that was you... And he says, it is I, Jesus, whom you are persecuting. What do you think you're about to hear next? You're going to ride the lightning, homie. No, that might be how I'd say it, okay? (laughs) How many of you are thinking, oh, my bad, Lord. I didn't mean to, like, persecute and kill your followers. (laughs) Please forgive me. You know what I mean? Like, How many of you are recognizing he probably is getting ready to face, in his mind, the most severe judgment? Because not only is he persecuting the followers of the Lord, he was screaming that he be slaughtered. Then he said, he heard a voice say this. But rise. These are the next words. But rise and stand to your feet. This is Jesus speaking to him. For I have appeared to you for this purpose. To kill you. To make you pay. To to give you what you have given to my own. No. He says this. To appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things which you have seen me. And to those in which I will appear to you. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan to God. And that they may receive forgiveness of sins. And a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Come on somebody. Can you imagine. The, I, I'm, I'm glad I'm not Jesus. Because I would have been like. You know you're crazy, right? <laughs> you were tripping. Like, you know you should die, right? This bright light is just the front end of a lightning bolt. And that's, <laughs> that, strap your saddle on, boy. 
but are you sorry? You know, the Lord doesn't even confront all that he's done. He just appoints him and anoints him to the purpose that God sent his son for. Amen. Because since none of us were born saved, this is the perfect picture of, to me of what, of what Pastor Sheldon was aiming at. How many of you can see with me he was assaulted by love? He was attacked by the love of God. So much so it knocked him off his horse. And this love had impact on him. And you know, Saul, now Paul, writing to Timothy, his disciple, says these words. They appear on the screen, but I want to read to you the front end of it. This is coming in at verse 15. I'm going to read to you verse 12. Listen to the words of Saul. Now Paul. He's writing to Timothy and he says, I thank him who gives me him, Jesus, who gives me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful and appointed me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of the Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And then these words, let's read these together too. Ready, go. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. You see what he said? He said, listen, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And let's leave this passage up here for a second. How many of you are thankful that he came into the world to save sinners? Come on. Okay, how many of you, and there might be a few of you in here, how many of you might be one of those sinners he was came into this world for? Maybe, oh, maybe more than a few. Some of you are like, he came for me, I'm the supersized sinner. You know what I mean? You know, say he delivered me from my Big Mac judgment. You know what I mean? But I received mercy for this reason that and me as the foremost, Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. In other words, he saved the worst in order that I might go to those who might think that they're beyond God's ability to be saved, that they think that they've gone too far, that God wouldn't have mercy on them, and I have come and he has saved me as the poster child of mercy. Because if God can forgive me and restore me, and now he's the apostle, he's the one who's written 80% of what we call the New Testament. If God had mercy on him, he'd have mercy on anybody. But that's not it. Now let's go back to Acts 16. Now in Acts 16, now maybe we can see a little bit more why Paul does what he does. He sees this man 
putting the butt end of his sword into the ground and is putting the blade right here and he's getting ready to go like this. And Paul's like, no! Why? Because he knows that man doesn't know what's on the other end of that blade like he didn't know what was on the other end of that path going to Damascus. Paul saw a man walking in ignorance and lack of understanding, and if that sword goes through his soul, then what's going to happen? He's going to go into eternal punishment. And Paul, if, Now let's remember, this isn't some guy, this is his own jailer, but he recognizes, listen, if God had mercy on me, if he loved me, he sees this man standing, literally hanging in the balance, and if that thrusts through him, this man's going to go into eternal punishment. And yet, what does he know? He knows Jesus came into this world to forgive and to save. And he sees this man, and he's like, no! Don't do it! We're here! And listen, it doesn't say that Paul was like, now, stop! I'm not going to tell you who this voice is, but I'll just save your life. You can let us go. Who is that? I'm not going to say, but I just saved your life. Will you let me go? Yes. Okay, it's Paul. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? Like, Paul didn't stop the man thinking it's going to get him out of jail. Paul stopped the man because he saw somebody who didn't know what they were doing and screamed because he wanted to pay forward the mercy that he had drank so fully from and had transformed his life. He didn't become a bucket of mercy and grace. He became a pipeline. And no wonder the man's response, because he runs in with lights and he's like, can you imagine the man? He's probably like, if I were you, I would have let me die. What does the man do? He falls to his knees and says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And if you know the verse, Apostle Paul says, listen, receive the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be forgiven, you and your whole family. And this man gives his life to Christ. This man, you know, brings Paul and Silas out of the prison into his home and then begins to nurse his wounds and all these different things. The family gets transformed. And when you read the letter to Philippians, please understand that he wrote it to a man who was once his jailer but is now his brother. And has eternal life instead of eternal death because Jesus jumped in through Paul and attacked him with love. Attacked him with love. You know, when I think about this then, I think about just the mercies of God and some things that I think we can learn today. That we can learn when we're being assaulted by love. Because a lot of times God will assault us <laughs> with love um, when we're not at our best. When we might be doing some things that we ought not to do. Or sometimes it's a difficulty that God has allowed to come our way. And sometimes we're thinking that God doesn't care for us. But it's not a sign of that he doesn't care. It's a sign of his love. He's trying to get us to understand the depth of his love. And I don't know how many of you are married in here and what the status of your marriage is, but I wonder if the depth of the reason, if you really have a love for your spouse, 
I wonder if that love is because you know they've seen you at your worst, but they still stay with you to help bring about your best. I wonder if the reason you have a best friend is because they've seen you at your worst, but they gave you their best. And you learned about the value of friendship, not because you were a super friend already, but because there was something maybe lacking, and it was through that difficulty that you learned what it meant to really love, what it meant to be a friend, what it meant to be faithful, and all those different things. See, when I think about this, I think about just how God works in our lives. And I want to give us some things that we can draw from the Apostle's life that I think are going to be very helpful for us. And they're going to be things that you're going to be able to fill in in your notes if you have them today. Because I want to talk about when we're assaulted by love, what do we do when God knocks us off our horse? (laughs) What do we do when we recognize? I mean, and now that we're using this terminology and understand the story, how many of you recognize with me? How many of you have ever been attacked by love? Anybody been attacked by God's love? Assaulted by God's love? So you're like, oh, I have. And it sounds so weird. It's like, I'm so glad he assaulted me. It sounds weird, but it's true, isn't it? Because it felt like something confronted you. But if we're going to grow to be and respond like Paul did, then we want to say a couple of things that are going to be helpful to us. Everyone say, reality is your friend. Somebody like, "Mm -mm." (laughs) mm-mm. No, reality is not my friend. Yes, it is. See, if Saul was ever going to be broken out of an eternal judgment space, then he had to come to a place of reality, and here's what happened. In the reality, when he was knocked off of his horse, he called out to God, and he said, Lord, who are you? And in that space, honestly, even though it confronted him, it probably horrified him, you know, to know that it was Jesus, but he needed to know it was Jesus he was persecuting. He needed to know he was assaulting God. And reality became the means by which he could experience God's touch upon his life. So, again, say this, say reality is my friend. You know, some of the things that God is trying to get our attention on are things that we oftentimes don't like to look in the mirror about. Can I tell you how one way that God's been able to get my attention sometimes been attacking me? Listen, I love my kids. I have four beautiful children. But, you know, sometimes I make mistakes as a parent. And I can tell you that God has taught me about his mercy and grace by how he's helped me to even be able to forgive myself when I haven't been the best father that I can be. It's amazing how you can learn of being assaulted by God's forgiveness because I remember... um, I had yelled at my older son about something and got really frustrated, and I just, I saw how, like, just down he was, and right away I realized he didn't do necessarily something wrong. It was, it was me. And I remember coming to my son, and I said to him, I said, son, will you, will you forgive? Will you please forgive Daddy. And honestly, man, because I grew up without a dad, like every passion of my life, so I'm going to be the dad that I never had. And man, something hits you right in the core of your heart when you want to be the dad that you never had, and then you realize you're being something less than the dad you wanted to be. And I said, son, will you forgive me? And you know what he did? He just went like this. 
Dad, I forgive you. God allowed me to be confronted with my mistakes so he could assault me with love through my son. But I had to experience reality. I had to do the second point, which is I had to start with the man in the mirror. I could have been like, well, you know dad got nuts like that, but that's because you kids are nuts. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not looking at the man in the mirror. I'm looking at the little boy at the end of my finger. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like, oh, man, I, 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 you know, it was, if they hadn't done this, haven't done that. You know, listen, if we're going to really experience God's love that transforms our life, we got to live and, and be able to recognize reality as our friend. But we also got to start with the man or the woman in the mirror. I mean, it is Michael. I know that. I know it's not St. Michael. <laughs> okay, maybe to some it is, but. I'm starting, <laughs> now we're quoting songs again, aren't we? Like the video. I'm starting what? With the man in the mirror. I'm asking him what? To change his ways. <laughs> and no message could have been any clearer. Come on, somebody. If you want to make the world a better place, come on. Take a look at yourself and make that change. Yes, Marilyn was like, change. She got to the like, gospel choir part of it. You know what I mean? Listen, reality is our friend, and we got to start with the man in the mirror. And then, I love this because I feel like it happened with Paul, too. If you know the rest of the story, say this with me. Everyone say confess. We need to confess. We need to confess that we're not where we'd need to be with God. The purpose for his assaulting us with love, for attacking us with his love, the reason he puts his hands to the clay to shape us, even though that might be hard, is because he wants us to not only be in reality, but to confess it. You know, here's a definition of confession. It just means to agree with reality, (laughs) to agree with God's reality. Do you know there's not one breakthrough process in the whole of the scripture? There's not one reality of freedom that happens in the Bible that doesn't start with confession? Some of us came from a Catholic background and like, you know, you're talking about going to a little booth like Pastor Alex. Listen, I'm not talking about the little booth, but what I am saying is confession is where we come before God and come before others and admit the truth. I've fallen short. I'm not who I should be. I've made mistakes. And then we can come into a place of there, once we've acknowledged that, then it comes to repentance. And it's very interesting, by the way, the word for repentance in the Greek language does not mean to change your behavior. Isn't that interesting? When you think of repent, and I always thought of repent before I looked up the word, repent was I'm going this way, And I go this way, repent, do a 180. Do you know what? The word repent, if you're thinking like the 180 turn, you might think of the Greek word metamorpho, which is like metamorphosis. You know, what happens with a butterfly? That's not the word. The word is actually metanoia. What does that mean? It means to repent is actually means to change your mind. Reality is our friend. Deal with the man in the mirror. As we confess, then what happens? The confession is an acknowledgement that my mind and my thinking aren't straight. 
And so therefore, repenting means, Lord, help me to change the way that I think. I think too often we're trying to change our behavior without recognizing that it's not your behavior that's as much the problem as the thinking patterns that drive it. Because how many of you recognize with me, you could try to stop the behavior, but that's always the fruit. It's what you see. What you see always has a root. And what God is after is changing us from the root. Because if you can change the fruit through an actual shifting of how you think, then the fruit naturally deals with itself. And then in this space, if you've come into this place where God's come to you and he's trying to confront something in your life in love, and you'll be in reality in that space, you'll look in the mirror and be able to confess those things that need to be confessed. Yes, to God, but you know, James 5.16 says, confess your sins one to another and pray for each other that you may be healed. What does that mean? If nobody knows what you are going through or what you've done, nobody doesn't say to tell the world. It says confess your sins one to another. That could just be another person. But a lot of people are trying to get free, but they've never confessed. And so in that, God says, listen, it has to come through confession. And when it comes through confession to at least share with one person how I'm falling short, a place where I'm missing the mark, then we begin to allow God to shape our mind to begin to change. And when we begin to change, then here's something beautiful that happens. How many of you have recognized with me? By the way, if any of you have received Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, there's a reason why. It's because you confessed, right? Lord, I need you. I need you, God. And then it begins to work a change in our life. I mean, we're a work in progress, right? But how many of you have experienced that inside-out change? God began to change the way that you think. And I love this. My favorite Dr. King quote is not, um, (laughs) I have a dream, though I think that that's awesome. My favorite Dr. King quote is this. He once said, you know, we ain't what we ought to be, we ain't what we could be, and we ain't what we should be. But thank God we ain't what we was. Come on. Look at someone next to you and say, you ain't what you was. Right? And you know why we ain't what we was? Because he loved us, gave himself for us. And what happened that last point is just that we began to pay it forward. We pay it forward. We do for others what God did for us. If you notice, this is the Apostle Paul's path. What did he do with that jailer? He paid it forward. Why? Because the love of God that assaulted him, the love of God that attacked him and transformed his life was a love that was so strong that he wanted to give it away to others. Wanted to give it away to others. So that others, do you know, like seriously, a lot of people are going to struggle to believe oftentimes that God is real because they can't see him. But you know, the way that I came to Christ is somebody who knew God deeply began to come after me, began to share Jesus with me. And you know what they were? They were a physical representation and manifestation of the love of God. But they came after me in my foolishness and mess when I was in college, and I was a catastrophe. But they showed me mercy by showing me that love. Let's pay that love forward, amen? And let's also, if you're here today, and... You being here, if you've yet to receive Christ, can I tell you, um, 
God has uh, assaulted you today with love. If you're here today and you haven't received Jesus, that means you're still alive. And what I want to say to you, in, in just in matter of speaking truth, is if you haven't received Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, then you haven't been forgiven. And if you haven't been forgiven, then our last breath on earth would actually be our first one going on a downward trajectory away from the presence of God. But God so loved you that he brought you here today so that you could respond to his outreached charms that say, come on in, amen? So would you bow your heads with me? My friend, if you're here today and you've never received Christ, his love is here to draw you in, to bring you close. And so my ask of you today is if you're here today and say, Pastor, I want that mercy that he gave the Apostle Paul. I want his forgiveness. If you're here and you've never received Christ today, and you're saying, Pastor, I want that. I want to receive Christ. I want his forgiveness. I confess that I need him, and I haven't lived the life God's called me to live, but I want his love and grace. Would you just raise your hand right now and say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm receiving Christ today. Good, I see your hand in the back. You know, I see your hand right here. Anybody else who just says, Pastor, that's me. Brother, I'm telling you, forgiveness comes to you today and comes to you, sister, who's raising your hand over here. God's love embraces you in its whole today. Amen. Thank you, God. And if you're here today and you already belong to Christ, but you just recognize that you need to come back home, you need to come back around, you've been resisting the love, but now it's time to come back home and you're saying, Father, forgive me. I rededicate my life to you to walk with you. If that's you today, would you raise your hand and just say, I'm coming home. I receive your love. Lord, you see these hands all around. So, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would wrap us in your love and that, Lord, you would cause us to be those who go out from here sharing your love with a world that so desperately needs to receive it by seeing it in our face and through our hands and through our hearts that love them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, New Hope Church. Thank you for having me today.